Hey guys, it's Edge Martinez. They call me the voice of New York. And 50 years ago, hip hop started right here in New York City. And we're celebrating the five boroughs all year long. Check out nyctourism.com forward slash hip hop for cultural stories, events, interviews, and more. nyctourism.com forward slash hip hop. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7, well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Good morning, everyone. How's it going? This is Tyler Dunn with Go Long. I think you're going to love our podcast today. This is one of my favorite yet with Mark Ross. Worked in the front offices of the Eagles, the Bills, and the New York Giants. And now he's at NFL Network. He joined us for an hour plus to share so many stories you've never heard before from a story involving Ralph Wilson that might blow your mind um, back to Philadelphia when they drafted Donovan McNabb and how controversial that decision was behind the scenes. And then fast forward to the New York giants and the decision to bench Eli Manning and how it cost Mark Ross's job. He is unbelievably candid on all of the above. I hope you enjoy uh, as always feel free to rate, review our podcast and on Apple, Spotify, wherever, however you listen. We cannot thank you enough for tuning in. We're brought to you by Hamburg Brewing Company. Right off the 219, stop on in, drink a Louie, join us for a podcast down the road. We'd love to meet you now that the world is opening up a little bit. Um, cannot thank you enough. So without further ado, here's Mark Ross. This is Tyler Dunn here with Jim Monas for another episode of the Go Long Podcast. And uh, Jim, I am so fired up for our guest today. I mean, he is the best of the best at NFL Network, Mark Ross. You know, there's a lot of talking heads this time of year, Jim. And uh, a lot of things said, a lot of takes, shit out into the atmosphere. And I, I think it's it's so important to just listen to the people who have been there day in and day out, making the decisions. And uh, Mark is one of those people who, I mean, when he says anything on an NFL network, people should listen because it comes from a place of, of knowledge, of truth, of, of, of really watching these draft prospects. So um, you, re- you should really introduce him because you know Mark a lot better than me. <laughs> I'm just an outsider here, but I love him. And I'm not just saying that because he's staring at that, us on a Zoom call here. <laughs> no, Tyler, I think you, you're right about that because, I mean, you put on that TV and I mean, it's these old Charlie Casserly's and I, I'm good on those guys, man. I don't want to hear Mel Kuyper. Mel Kuyper. Yeah. He's been doing it forever. He's never run a draft. Mark's yeah. run draft. You know, he's run drafts. He's made picks and been in those rooms. And I, we always, you know, in the business, you know, it's, it's crazy. We sit here and 
for years, Mark and I would be in the draft rooms watching these guys talk. And, you know, I do give Kuiper and McShay credit. I mean, they, they do a great job for what they do. They really do. But it's hard for me to understand how you can sit there and tell everybody what should be happening and you've never done it. Mm-hmm. And it's just nice to see the NFL network finally bring on some younger and, and guys that have the experience and the credibility and have been held accountable in those positions. And I mean, I, it's really cool to have Mark on this show and, and Mark will lead it off right away, man. It's Hey, yeah. you, just so I know, just so you know, you got introduced on, on the go long podcast because I had to tell a story about how you had to put me in my place on Byron Leftwich. <laughs> coming out of Marshall. So, you know, I'm a young, I'm a young Northeast scout coming back thinking I saw the greatest quarterback to ever throw the football. And Mark, Mark said, slow down, slow down. So anyway, Mark, Hey man, thanks for being here. That's a hell of an introduction you guys gave me, man. I appreciate that. And you you talked about the network and it is, it's a difference. It's a skill that people on TV have. And I learned that just being a part of it, but I got in there at the right time. And guy named Galen Gordon hired me, who was the one of the uh, talent coordinators at the time, but they wanted more of a emphasis on the younger guys that had been a part of it and actually making decisions. And people are getting more interested in what happens in the front office, not just with the, from the players and the coaches. Um, who knows, it might be fantasy football. Everybody thinks there's a GM now. So it's, but yeah, it's, it's, um you know, and I still study the game just like I did when I was scouting, but now right. when I'm on TV, I say every, everything I say on TV now still comes from a place from me studying and looking at these guys. It's not just me just up there mm. talking. It's from me mm. bre- breaking his tape down and getting to know the players. But now it's just if I say it, I say it next day, move on. Um, just say something else and, and I'll hey, be right. At least, they haven't, at least I haven't seen a Mark Ross uh, mock draft 3.5. No. I, no. I, I hope no. I don't have to see that. No I way. Have to see that. Never. Ever, We're very ever. anti-mock draft on this podcast. We got to get that out there. <laughs> and just so people know, too, in case they don't, um, if, if they're they're watching you on TV, Mark. You, so you were the director of college scouting with the Philadelphia Eagles, May of '97 to April of '04. The, a national scout with the Buffalo Bills. A lot of our most of our listeners are, are Bills yeah, fans, so can't wait to get time. into those stories. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, April '04 to, to May '07. And then the VP of player evaluation with the, the New York Giants for close to 11 years, May of 07 to December of, of 17 before NFL Network. So um, you, you, you've seen a lot through yeah, several I've different been eras. through it all, Tyler. And even, you know, I started out as, as an intern back with the Eagles and personnel. My very first job out of college, out of Princeton. People don't know my background. I went to Princeton, played there, but worked in the sports communications department at Princeton because I knew, I, you know, there was that's when I first got exposed to, oh, man, there's some other things besides just playing and coaching. And then, um, you know, I worked for the New York Giants in their PR department. It was my very first internship out of college. Worked at Columbia University as an intern. Thought I might be want to be an AD one day. It's like, I don't want to do that. Uh, went to grad school, got the internship with the Eagles, and then everything just kind of took off from there um, and had a, had a hell of a career so far. How did you go? So from PR to scouting, I mean, here in Buffalo, Brandon Bean had a, had a strange rise himself to being the GM. I mean, yeah. he, he was guy. Well, Jim, where did he start in Carolina? Wasn't he doing you know, like equipment I, stuff? I don't know Bean's history like that, Tyler. I don't know what yeah. he did. I know he was more, you know, Mark might know, Mark, you interviewed in Carolina for the GM job. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That was, that's a whole nother story. But yeah, I, I did interview there for three hours and got a got the job interview for about 10 minutes probably. But it's, it's um, yeah, so, 
you know, Tyler, I did actually I bounced around for a couple of internships. And then when I got an internship in personnel with the Eagles, then I went to grad school. They hired me full time after that. So I just at that time, you know, you're just bouncing around. I was bouncing around trying to find anything. I just wanted to be involved with sports and didn't know exactly what I wanted to be involved with until I did it. When I got this guy, I was like, this is what I want to do, you know, and back then it was like one or two sport management programs it was UMass, it was Temple, it was Ohio U. Now there's a ton of them, all kinds of information now about the, the behind the scenes jobs and, and whatnot. But back then it just really was still of a kind of an up and coming profession. And I happened to be, get a lot of help from Princeton grads who were actually in baseball. A lot of, we had some baseball GMs and stuff that, that helped me out. Uh, Steve Mills, who was a basketball guy, played at Princeton, was the president of the Knicks for a while. He helped me out a lot. So yeah. that those guys kind of kind of guided me and helped me to to uh, you know see get the exposure to what I wanted to do. Was there a moment though that that you fell in love with with scouting with evaluation? Can you remember? Was there a specific time? Yeah, when I was picking up chicken at the airport, and then I was go- no, I, like you when I was an intern, you just had to do. Jim knows he was an intern. You just do anything and everything. But it was, I mean, here I was a Princeton grad, got a by the master's degree in sport management, and I'm just doing all kinds of stuff. You know, I'm just just doing whatever. Um, you know, I, I don't think it was a moment. It was just a, the culmination of everything I was doing. It was just grunt work, just getting after yeah. it. As we as the real, real scouts used to say grinding. We're grinding all yeah. the time. I don't know, Tyler, if Jim's told you about, that's like the buzzword to say when you're, 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 you're just working, but you're not really working, but grinding. But you're just getting after it. And um, just every day I felt like, wow, this is fun. This is fun. This is good. This is good. It's good. I'm going to go pick a guy up from the airport. I'm going to go make some copies. I'm going to go grab a guy out of his room. He just got, you know, he just got cut, but I got to go get, go get him and get his playbook. You know, those are kind of the things you just kind of learn when you're an intern, you just, you just love it. Love it. And I, Jim, sorry, I, I skimmed right past our, our, our usual intro here. What's everybody drinking this evening? Oh. <laughs> well, I'm going with, I had to go celebrate champagne high life tonight. So <laughs> I can't afford that. So I made it Negroni, Tyler, a little Negroni, oh. but for people that don't know, don't, don't go one, 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 go two with the gin, one with the Campari, one with the sweet vermouth, double up. Uh, it'll be the best Negroni you've ever had. <laughs> It's the kind of information you only get on this podcast, really. I mean, that's we what we're try, about. We help people. Yeah, we Hoptimonium, Hamburg Brewing, how to make a Negroni. We are putting people, <laughs> we're, we're showing people the light of how enhancing, to drink. Enhancing people's lives step by step. Jim, I oh, actually wait. stopped by Hamburg today. Little uh, Hamburg Brewing Company picked up some Tropically Delicious, which it sounds like it'd be a, you know, a fruity kind of drink that, you know, 3.04 point. I'm telling this hits you. This hits you. It's it's a sour. It's a a 7.0. I met with the brewer today. Incredible guy. Listens to the podcast and their versatility with all these beers, the IPAs, the sours, the stouts is uh bar none the best in western New York and beyond. So, we got to give our, our sponsors some love here and it comes from a genuine place. Mark, whenever you're in town. Yeah, I got I'll be up this summer hopefully and uh you guys take me take me by. You know what, Mark, you know, since you worked in Buffalo, you know, you didn't live in Buffalo, but you worked for the Bills as a scout. But these, this place, Hamburg Brewing, if we were working together, it is beautiful. Like yeah, the scenery, okay. yeah, outdoor seating, right in Orchard Park, right outside. Well, yeah, kind of outside, right, Tyler, outside Orchard Park right there, Hamburg. But it's beautiful. And uh, okay. it'd be our type of spot. It'd be our nice. type of spot. Yeah. 
My, my well, Mark, spot oh, back there was uh, uh, Hutch's. That was, was that still open? Is that still going? Strong. That was, that was the spot. That was the spot. Fantastic ribeye at Hutch's. Maybe not quite tempo, but it's right still fantastic. There. Yeah. So, Mark, wait, we, you got to tell this story. You got to confirm this story for us in Buffalo because we, I brought it up, but I need it confirmed. Uh-oh. Is there, can you confirm Ralph Wilson making the pick on the Fresno running back? Can you just confirm it? We, I, we, it's all, it's out there. It's everybody it's knows there. it's out there. You're not, you're, you're not breaking anything here. It, it, it actually happened. Yes, it did happen. Have you ever been in a moment like that in a draft room? Never, ever. And I've never walked out of a draft room in my life except to go to the bathroom. And I walked out there and I called some people after that happened. The field house. So the the, dra- the old draft room, the Bills used to be in that. I don't know if that conference room is still there, but you could just walk kind of right out in the field house from there. Mm-hmm. And I'm just looking like, I, I can't believe this is really going down right now. Like this. We had, took, we had taken Marshawn. That was the Marshawn draft. And yeah, it, it happened. And I walked out. I was like, you will not. I was calling people like, you will not believe what this happened right now. So, yeah. Yes. That, so that happened. Hey. that's 2007. You draft Marshawn Lynch in the first round. Yeah. Dwayne Wright out of Fresno Dwayne State. Dwayne Wright. Paul, Paul P. Paulie P. Second round. That's Paul strong. Puzlesny. You couldn't that's get strong. more different than Marshawn Lynch and Paul Puzlesny as far as. <laughs> Personality. That's how the draft is so beautiful. You couldn't get more different. So Marshawn Lynch, I, I actually just talked about this last week with some friends. He is exactly the same now as he was then. Like this guy, this is not some act he has or something, but he's brilliant. You know, the guy is really brilliant. Um, but he was the same exact way. Uh, I remember interviewing him at the combine. He was talking about opening up uh, a record studio to help guys out in Oakland and stuff. And at the time, you always think these young guys don't know what they're doing, but he was a step ahead with this stuff. You know, he's got businesses now, but we brought those two guys in. We brought Marshawn and Paul P and it took them to Hutches actually after we drafted them and took those guys to Hutches and Marshawn kind of had his handler dude with him. I forget the guy's name. And Puzz Leslie was just kind of sitting in the corner, just like chilling, just not talking at all. And Marshawn was being Marshawn with his dude and we're chopping it up. And it, but it was like, damn, these two dudes do the same exact thing. And we just took them, you know, back to back in, in the, in the draft. It was just, that's the beauty of it, man. Mark, I can't let the Dwayne Wright thing go, though. Like, <laughs> how, how does that go down? Like, how does that go down in the draft room? So, with Ralph Wilson so, wanting him to be the pick. Yeah. So, again, some owners are hands on, some are hands off, some are, hand, are, are involved, but let you do your work. And, you know, Ralph was older at the time and uh, just kind of just was very, very involved. And, we were getting to the fourth. We had a bunch of other guys just kind of there, but there were some other people that liked Dwayne Wright that, you know, at the time there was a bunch of old like scouts that had been around there for a long time in Buffalo when I got there. And there were some people that really liked Dwayne Wright. So they were in Rouse ear. And this is what, this is when you don't do things. Well, it's, you, you have a chain of command. You got the, either the GM's making the decision, everything's filtered up to him or the head coach when I was with New York, it was the GM, Jerry Reese. When I was with, we were at the Eagles, it was Andy Reed. He makes a decision, but everybody knows that everyone's on the same page. Everyone chain of command filters up to that person. Well, in Buffalo, the years I was there, it was just kind of a free for all just because it was the owner, but then the head coach is talking to the owner and it backbiting the, the GM, the GM's going to, it was just all over the place with some of the decisions that were made. And it was just all kinds of all over the place like that. So 
you know, someone had gotten in Ralph's ear and we kind of didn't have Dwayne up there, but he wanted them because of, of the information he was getting and he took them. It was a, it was a, it was a spirited, spirited discussion for a long time. But at the end he said, I want the running back. And we took the running back. 24 carries for 94 yards, no touchdowns and 15 <laughs> career games. Dwayne Wright. Didn't work this, out. This sounds like a, a Buffalo fan speaking like this is still hurt by. by <laughs> no, I, I, I wasn't. It's just I'm so fascinated by uh, by those behind the scenes, because as, as Jim and I talk about, you know, being in the media, like when you're sitting there on like, draft what? day, what the hell they do that for? <laughs> There's some <laughs> of that. But you guys come out to the podium, right? That the, t- the team trots a scout out a GM and. Everybody was on the same page. Like everybody oh, was a yeah, team was a pick, big. and it's no, not the Eric case. Tyler, he was the he was the best on our board. He was the next guy up on the board. That's I said it. Was. I, I, that first thing no I matter said. where you're picking, or where you, he was the next guy up. Did you pick for Neat? Not at all. He was the highest next guy. best guy. He was the highest guy. On best the available. And then the other line is, we couldn't believe he was there. Couldn't believe it. Couldn't, could. <laughs> couldn't believe he was still there. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll hear it. We're going to hear all this in about three weeks. Every just, yeah. just we should count Cutting how many paint. times, yeah, yeah. how many times we hear highest guy. Save everybody a lot of time, a lot of airspace. Just cut and put, <laughs> run the clip. Just change out the the you know the avatar, whoever you're, with coach or GM. Just put it up there on the screen. Run the run a uh, just a regular computer generated voice to say he was our best available. Couldn't believe he was there. <laughs> Couldn't believe it. He's gonna. He might need some development, but he's gonna be a star and gonna start for us. We'll so. Oh my God! I just keep thinking of that that line in forgetting Sarah Marshall when when Russell Brand's going on and on, and the girl just goes bullshit, 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 bullshit. The There's just a lot, time. a lot of bullshit this time of year. There really is. It's nauseating. Lion season. It's the. It's the. Yeah. So that 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 transpired, Tyler. But on a brighter note, though, Mark, the year before. I mean, it was you. You guys drafted Kyle Williams, right? Yeah, was one thirty four overall. Yeah, and I mean, he's one of the most beloved figures in and Buffalo. It, and this, this is how crazy again how the draft is. So that same year, LSU had a guy named Clyde Roten, and he was no joke. I mean, this guy Clyde Roten, I mean, he was athletic, he was productive, and all that. And Kyle was just kind of the the other guy there. Just like you, you went to LSU to see what LSU at the time was an LSU now where they've got 15, 20 guys, you know, they had a few guys a year. It was still a decent program, but not like they are now. So he was the guy, but you know, Kyle had his strengths. I mean, the guy was the balance, the hands, the technique, and he was, it just wasn't flashy as probably he was for that whole time. But it was one of those where, you know, we had guys, Tom Odrak, who was the director of football ops at the time, really, really loved him, loved Kyle. And um, and, it, and it, that's kind of how it works out. I don't think Claude, Clyde Roten, I think it's Claude or Clyde, he, I don't think he he did anything. I think he got took in the, taken in the second round, top of the second or something by the Rams, I believe. But I don't think he panned out at all. And then Kyle had a hell of a career. And Mark, wasn't Kyle like crazy sack production? And I mean, when you looked at his production in college, it all added up to he's a pretty yep. damn good player. All added up, but you Except know. for when he walks off the bus. Exactly. Wasn't that tall, <laughs> short arms, didn't blow out the, the 40, the jumps and all that stuff. But when you watch the tape, it was, okay, this guy making plays, making plays, making plays. And <clears throat> that's what you see every year. You're going to keep seeing it, the, the difference between the – production 
versus the workouts and the guys are really productive and they may not look, look the part or measure the part and what's really important, what it boils down to. And for me, my whole thing is always what, how do they play? Let's turn this tape on. Let's, let's watch this film. This part of the season, this workout stuff, the pro days, the combine, I, I, just just not from uh, there's no correlation at all between working out really well and being a good football player absolutely none but yet every year we still put so much importance into this phase of the year and i think that's part of the reason why a lot of mistakes get make it get made is because the overemphasis on this part of the draft process Real quick, then. I mean, we just had a story up on on Jared Patterson from from UB here locally. Nobody was more productive than him in yeah. college. I mean, averaged more yards per game than anybody yeah. in the country. Yet, I don't know. You, 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 it you doesn't seem like anybody's talking about him. That's a good one. I'll, I'll give you an even better one. But <clears throat> Jared's a good one, just because you won't find a running back with quicker feet than him. You won't find a running back with better vision than him. You won't find anyone with better production than him. You won't see anyone that makes people miss more than he does. Um, you know, so, but he's, what did he measure in it as his pro day? Five, eight, and he probably only ran five, four. Five, six. Damn, he's that, he was that, okay. Five, six-ish, whatever he ran. So what are you judging? Are you going to keep going back to the film or you're going to go with the measurables? Now that, now that being said, you, you can't have exceptions. You got to be exceptional to be an exception. And then this year's the per, perfect litmus test of this is Devonte Smith from Alabama, the receiver that we know about Heisman trophy winner, all American. Whenever you watched Alabama play anybody, you say, who's the best player on the field, Devonte Smith, watch him the national, whatever Devonte Smith was always the best player in the field. But I said, as soon as the season over and I talked to, we got a really good friend who played at Bama. I said, Waddell's going to be drafted higher than Devontae Smith. I said, here's Waddell's time from here on out. He didn't play. He got hurt, all that. He was never the number one guy. And I said it last year with Henry Ruggs versus Judy. You watch Alabama last year, Judy was a guy, Judy, Judy, Judy. I said, once this season comes, Ruggs is going to run the 4-3. Judy will run for He'll surpass him. And he did. And I think the same thing will happen now with Devontae Smith, where you take what he did on the field versus the workout. What's more important? You know, he didn't run. He, he only measured 170-something. Do you see that affect him on the field? Does he look slow? No, he looks like the fastest guy on the field. All right, so what difference does his 40 time mean? He's 170. Does he look weak on the field? Well, no, he beats the press pretty easily. He makes all kinds of contested catches. So what's the problem? Why is the weight the problem? Just because no one's done it? So could he be that one exception? Could he be that guy? Um, and that's the problem with this season, but numbers make scouts and coaches comfortable. It makes them feel good and comfortable and validated. Whereas we can sit and argue all day. Jim and I can watch tape and like, yo, I think he's fast. Well, I think he's slow. We go back and forth, back and forth. But if they run, Waddell runs a four, three and Devontae Smith runs a four, five. Well, Jim's like, well, I told you he's faster. And that is what happens with the workout numbers that it makes everyone. He jumps 42 and a half inches. He's explosive. Well, is do you see that on the field? Is he really explosive on the field? It could not correlate at all. And it's shown not to really correlate or show an indication of being a great player. But yet here we are. So, you know, that's, you, know, you mentioned Patterson, you mentioned Devontae Smith. We've seen it over and over and it'll, it'll keep, it'll keep going on. 
another, let me just, it reminded me, I'm sorry if I'm rambling, but mm-hmm. back in the day, we took a guy in Philly named Brian Westbrook. If you remember him from Villanova <laughs> and we've got, I've got millions of Brian Westbrook stories, but Brian Westbrook went to Villanova. Okay. So let's look at all the strikes that were against Brian Westbrook. He was small. He only ran four, six. So he was slow. He went to a small school. He had two ACL injuries or something and you know, mm. he slipped on ice in high school and mm. had an ACL and he tore up the other knee when he was in college. So a small, slow, hurt guy from a small school. You're like, this guy can't play at all. But then when you watch Brian Westbrook, it's like, wow, the guy can catch. He's explosive. He's got hands. He can return punts and kicks. He's quick. He's fast. You know, he set all kinds of records and all that. So he was an exceptional exception that overcame all that kind of stuff. But if you just looked at him in a box and and looked at all those things, you said, this guy can't play in the NFL. So there's countless stories of that, but you can't, you have to be exceptional to be the exception. And and the problem is people want to make Mm. everyone the exception. That's not the case. So Tyler, go ahead. No, go ahead, Jim. It's all right. That was my first year as a Northeast scout in Philly. And Mark was the director of scouting. So he was so we went to Villanova together. He was just kind of showing me when you go to a school, kind of this is how it works. You know, here are the questions you want to ask, you know, to the coaches, the trainers, all everybody. And then we watched tape at Villanova. So, you know, we didn't say a whole lot. You know, you, everybody, you're sitting in there taking your notes and we get in the car to go back to the office. And Mark's like, what do you think? And I'm like, you know, I'm kind of nervous because I'm like, I don't know if I've ever seen anybody this good. I mean, I, you know, I was young. I hadn't really, like, as far as, it wasn't this, as Byron Leftwich. It was. It was. Yeah, this is the opposite. As far as what, what am like, I didn't want to say like he should be a high a first round pick, but I was nervous because I was like, what if Mark thinks he's small, slow? Because you know, you you write the strength and weakness. You're like, yeah, you don't see the elite speed, but you couldn't see any. You just couldn't. The guy was phenomenal. I mean, his ability to make people miss and just he's just crazy. His instincts, yeah. everything, his hands, blah blah blah. And Mark's like, no, nah, Jim, this this is going to be the guy like we got to get this guy like mark i was like oh nice cool we ended up getting him in the third third, third round yeah third it doesn't round. even that should we be had, talked about as one of the bring yeah. him in to for an extra workout at our facility uh because he's right down the road i remember him coming in and yep it was windy as can be that day we brought him in i don't know if you remember jim and i do john harbaugh was a special teams coach yep we're throwing them but we're john harbaugh shooting all kinds of stuff off yep. the jugs at this guy yep. and it is windy as hell in Philly and he is catching everything like it's nothing. I mean, it was nothing to him. His nothing. ball skills, his hand-eye coordination were right up there with some of the best of, of the guys that I've been around. And, you know, a lot of people weren't sold on him at the time. And after that workout and it was, people got sold on him, but it, it was, and I, and even then taking him that though, I thought he would be a phenomenal kind of return guy, third mm-hmm. down back. I would have never, thought he'd have been one of the best, you know, him and Marshall Falk at the time, he'd been best running backs, all around running backs in the NFL. Um, and as much as I loved him, I, I didn't see that in him. I, I've told him that too. Like, damn, man, you, you far exceeded what I thought you would do, but uh, he was just one of those guys. Probably one of the most underrated players of this generation. Right. I mean, it's, no question. No, it's question. incredible. And you just get to kind of look for those, little moments like the, at the jugs machine. I mean, something like that would stick with you, right? It it says a lot about him. Oh yeah. And even he went to the senior bowl that year too, Jim. I don't remember. He he went to the senior bowl and everything he did. I just kept, I always like to sit around and said, Westbrook, 
Westbrook. You know, it's just. Remember, Tyler, how I told you everybody sits together at the senior bowl, the team, you know, a lot of times the scout, everybody sits together, but it really, if you're a young scout, you really can learn when you're lucky enough to have other scouts like Mark or whoever, the veteran scouts tell you, see what we're saying? Like, and you point out the good and the bad, Mm -hmm. but it it really was to watch him catching punts. I mean, Mark was a punt returner in college, but. It's that's got to be one of that's got to be one of it's the hard. hardest. It's hard. Kicks hardest. are easy, you know. Kicks are just coming right. at you just over, over and over. And that's that's why you see some guys that can return kicks but not punts. But punts, there's so many variables of of, of the, the the how the ball, the flight of the ball, the wind, where it's going, and all that. It, it's hard, and that's why you see a lot of guys, Tyler, who well, he could be a returner. Nah, returners are are born. They're not made. Now you can't, you can't have anybody just catching punts and kicks. It's a special skill that those guys have. And you say he's fast. He can do it. No, 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 no. Now it's, it's a definitely a skill. Just number one, catching the ball, the feel for the, for the, for the coverage, the feel for where to run. Uh, so whenever you hear that again, Tyler, with somebody said, just make him a returner and the guy's never been a returner in his life. He can't do it. You absolutely cannot do it. I mean, there's that fear that you're just going to get your bell rung on punt returns. Like, even though he probably won't do it, like it's just that no, that's got it's in the back yeah. of some people's minds. Yep. Yeah. yeah. You got you got to let that go. The good ones just they don't even think about yeah. it. Well, let let's go back to you though, Mark. I want Jim to kind of mm-hmm. take it from here. But I mean, we we kind of skipped over the Philly years, but I know that you were behind. <laughs> you know, probably the most important draft pick in Philadelphia Eagles history, Donovan. Mark, tell Mark, tell me about. I think the fans would like to hear, especially now with this draft, and it's you know everybody talks about the offenses in college compared to the NFL. And Donovan, you know, maybe you could explain were were there concerns for you with McNabb in college? No question, no question. I mean, at that time, Syracuse, the stuff they were running was Tyler. I don't know how old you are, but you know they were running Donald running beer, and he was. it, It wasn't a lot of pro. Back then, it was you got to do pro stuff, do pro stuff, do pro stuff. Now, the pros are, are are going down to what colleges are doing. But yeah, what Syracuse's offense was doing was nothing like what I mean. There were elements of it that you saw that, but it wasn't like that. So Don, and you, here's another thing we talked about: workout production on that. People who are good in the NFL are have always been good. All right, there, there's not many guys in the NFL that are good now that was was a bum in college or, or high school. You know what I mean? You just don't just all of a sudden get good. If you look at all the great players now, they've always been good and good at a lot of different things. Don was four-time All-Big East. Big East player of the year, two or three times. I mean, he, it, what he had done up to that point, and, I, and I, we always talk about this with quarterbacks, Jim and I talk about, like, you change the program. What you've done is so special that you change your program there. But – he didn't come to the conventional offense. He, he didn't do that. But the, what he did was just so different than everyone else. I mean, he could, you couldn't question his arm. You couldn't question his accuracy. You couldn't question the mobility. You couldn't question the pocket poise and presence. You couldn't question his winning. You couldn't question his touch. There was really nothing that you would, was wrong with him, except we'll, we'll get into the race thing, too. You know, he's a black quarterback that played in an unconventional offense. So that was controversial. It's still controversial. But at that time, 1998, 99, 99, I mean, it was unheard of. I think Cordell Stewart had got drafted the year before or so and had some modicum, uh, you know, he did fairly well. So that was still hanging. Well, he can be another slash kind of guy. No, this guy was a quarterback. 
you know, he, he showed everything you needed to show just as far as that. And I went into Syracuse early that year, two days camp and they had Rob Conrad. They had uh, the, the John, Kevin Johnson. They were loaded. Syracuse back then, it wasn't like Syracuse now that they were loaded back then, you know, Keith Bullocks and those kind of guys. But he just, that's all he did was just produce and win. That's all he did. And it was like with unbelievable talent. So that draft year was Tim Couch was one and Don and Killy Smith, Cade McNown, Dante Culpepper. You know, that was the group of guys. And when you just looked at what Don had accomplished and his skill set compared to those other guys, it really wasn't comparable. And yet and still, it was controversial. And we weren't even fighting the quarterback thing. That was the year of the Ricky Williams situation. Heisman Trophy winner greatest running back of all time, the whole deal, you know, straight line, <laughs> try to run over guys, but let's not talk about those things. Let's just talk about he's a great, but, you know, he was a limited guy, and Edron, Edron James got taken over him for a reason. But so we were fighting the Ricky Williams thing too, and up right up till draft day when we, we took Don and he got booed and, and all that because up, leading up to that, the whole city was like Ricky Williams, Ricky Williams, Ricky Williams. They were going to burn down the vet, Veterans Stadium. That's where we played in if, if we didn't take Ricky Williams. And, you know, they booed him and all. But, I mean, you talk about underrated. I mean, he is one of the most underrated quarterbacks, players in Philadelphia history and NFL history because <clears throat> his career when we were there, I mean, the guy went to five NFC championship games, the Super Bowl. On the, on the AFC, it was Brady and Manning. But really on the NFC, we were rolling guys. I mean, it was – we're 11 wins, 12 wins every year. And like, all right, let's just see how far we go in the uh, playoffs. But yeah, it, it was, you, and, and, and Tyler, that's when I was a young guy. That's where I had to learn. Convic- I've always had conviction just kind of mm-hmm. as a person, just being up, but that's where I really had it as far as this business where it was, damn, like what, what's wrong with this guy? I, let's go with this. What's the problem? And no matter what, what someone say, what someone else tried to talk about. Now, I mean, even to the point we had someone in the building said, I heard he, you know, lead, leading up to the draft. I heard he can't read. I'm like, what? You know, just, just, just something like that. Like, are we really doing this right now? We're really doing this. So that's where you have to learn in this business to have conviction. You always be willing to listen, always look, look in other people's opinions but have your own conviction, but have it because you've done the work and the research and looked at the film over and over again to make sure. Because we see the booze on TV. I mean, we see the city on fire. I mean, that pick, it's an iconic moment in NFL draft history. No question. Publicly, yeah, I mean, but behind the scenes, whether it's that day or leading up to the day, what does it really look like? You're kind of touching on it. I mean, there, there's a lot of debate yeah. and dialogue. And, and again, you, you couldn't get a better person in family. His family was unbelievable. He was an unbelievable person. Never any trouble. Like there was nothing wrong with the guy, <laughs> but he was vilified. And then just talking about the behind the scenes. So we're in the draft room. We're, and we know it's coming. I mean, we, we don't know the booze are coming, but we know it wouldn't have been popular, but. We're in there, and our director of college scouting at the time is the, uh, a guy named John Goler, who passed away a few years later. Um, but very high, strong, tough, old school dude, just no nonsense. So we make the pick, and I'm just sure Jim's told you whenever you make a pick, then you always want to watch TV, see what they're saying. For for whatever reason, you always just want to hear something good. I'll tell you, <laughs> you why. Know, who cares what they're saying? 
I'll tell you why, because the owners are sitting there and you're hoping yes. <laughs> you just hope you get some good the owners aren't because yes, when they right. when they crush your pick, the owners are like, Why why did we take them? Right. <laughs> right. You make the good pick, like, see, I told you. Yeah. But so we make the pick. Booze going all over. <clears throat> the, the, down the media starts crushing this our director of college scouting, John Goller, he goes over to the panel with the plugs and he just rips all the all the plugs <laughs> out of the wall. So that the TV, all the TVs just went off uh, in, in the draft room. People were looking at him, like, <laughs> you know. He dropped some f bombs, like people and all that. It's like, all right, John, I like it. Yeah, you know, not to get too far off the subject, but all that stuff on McNabb. And you think about this, Mark. We heard the same stuff with Cam Newton. Yeah. And here we are again, and we're hearing the same thing about Justin Fields. It it's really almost um, depressing when I yeah. hear like it's not changing for some reason right. and I hope Fields proves everybody wrong just like Cam did just like McNabb yep. did you know I, I really hope uh people judge the film like you're saying and, and judge right. what you know of the person and the family and great in high school great in college great in the pros that's Fields yep and we're sitting and here it, we're, yeah it, it's the you know I don't want to get too deep in here with the with the racial yeah. issues, but just as a black man being in this business, a black man in, in in this country, it's we have to prove so much more every single day, and that people just don't understand that concept, and, mm -hmm. and you never can unless you live it. This how much you have to overprove. My parents told me every day before I walked out the door, you got to be twice as good. Parents sent me to private schools. I grew up in a, a working class black neighborhood in Philly. Sent me to private schools, went to Princeton, went to, went to, you know, grad school, UMass, did all kinds of things. Always, always, always stress that. But you're seeing that those cognitive biases with black quarterbacks where you got to think about who the scouting community is, who the, who, who the coaches are, who the owners are, and what they look like and what they think is smart, what they think is a leader, what they think, what they feel comfortable with as the face of their franchise. That's what it gets down to, that, that they may not even know they're doing it. Some know they are. Some don't know. But what they feel our person should be. And you look at it this year, and Justin Fields gets hit with those same things. And whereas someone like uh, Mac Jones had a DUI. We never we have, we heard about that at all. Very rarely. If Justin Fields had a DUI, you know how much they'd be talking about that? Does he have a problem? Does he dip up? They be digging in all kinds of stuff. They be doing that kind of. They, they, but Mac Jones is swept under the rug. He learned from it. He's a better person. So those are the sort of biases that still go on <laughs> yeah. with judging and evaluating NFL players, NFL quarterbacks. But it happens in the regular workforce at all. I mean, there's tons and tons and tons of information, and people that get paid a lot of money to study these things. So it really happens, and we saw it in real time right now with Justin Fields. And again, I hope he crushes it too. You know, you mentioned Cam Newton. That was the whole thing. Well, is he, is he fake? And is he disingenuous and all this? Like what? I mean, the guy just had the greatest season in history. Jim, I if you remember, we went to Cam Newton's pro day. And well, that was the whole thing, Tyler, where it was all about Cam's personality and is he leader and all that. And then you saw him with the longest pro day in history, by the Absolutely. way, it was brutal, but but you saw Cam Newton around his teammates and the whole staff, and it was, what are these people talking about? You saw him lead every. It was just 
the, the gravitas that he had around everyone, it was just a natural, like for anyone to question that you, you're completely missing the boat or you're purposely uh, trying to assassinate his character in some sort of way. You're telling me that Johnny Manziel didn't have that same effect, you know, with the guys he around it. him? Yeah, he, he earned it. That's the thing. Those guys earn their stuff. They always make those comparisons. Johnny Manziel earned everything. Baker Mayfield, yeah. when they, he earned all that stuff. He did that. He's on TV he doing that stuff. You know, he did it. It's not, this is not something someone manufactured about Baker Mayfield. It was, uh, a, he did that stuff. It's on national TV. Did it. Now, if, Justin Fields had done all this stuff that uh, that uh, Baker Mayfield did. He'd be a fifth round pick, but that's just the, that's just the standard, the difference in the standard that still uh, goes on now that has to be completely eradicated. Mm. Do you think that Fields is going to fall on draft day? No, absolutely not. The whole the whole number three with <laughs> here's a whole we can get we we can go all night with this. But so all right. San Francisco trades up the number three, the rumors, Mac Jones. There's abs- there, systems don't win Super Bowls. System quarterbacks don't win Super Bowls. You don't out scheme people to win Super Bowls. So if, if you're hearing any comparison to Kirk Cousins because he feels like that's your standard for number, not only the third pick in the draft, but you're trading all these picks, three picks hey. to, to get up to that, to take. Kirk Cousins, that's your standard. So I, I think it's got to be, it absolutely has to be Justin Fields there because you invest that for someone that can be transcendent, not someone who's a system quarterback. And, you know, we saw that the, I've been comparing it to McVay. Sean McVay is the greatest coach of all time, right? He got him to the Super Bowl with Jared Goff. Where's Jared Goff now? He's in Detroit. Why? Because he saw the limitations of the system quarterback. And you need a player that can, a quarterback that can make plays and raise the level of the entire team. Uh, when you're talking about do this, put this, he, if we block, we get a running game. We got <laughs> receivers. The defense is strong. He'll be okay. Well, wait a minute. What does he have to do at that point? So you need that quarterback that can transcend and raise the level. Kyle Shanahan, that's what he wants, right? Like his ego is such that he, I mean, he had the quote, I think it was back in 06 in the Denver post where it was like, he's a young assistant and how much film he watches. I mean, he really believes that no one else is going to have the answer. Tyler, remember, (laughs) no one else watches as much film as him. Remember that too. There's another quote. (laughs) Working all night. I work. Wait, no one else. Nope. Nobody <laughs> number one, <laughs> but he's, but that, that's, that's his thing, right? Like I will find the perfect play for the perfect situation. Like just complete the pass. Like I'm going to, I am going to scheme it up. Yeah. And so part of me thinks like he saw Jimmy Garoppolo miss that throw to Emmanuel Sanders. Uh-huh. He wants a quarterback who can just complete that throw. I'm with you, by the way, I think you got to go special if you're giving all that up to the th- three, but I, I think he's going to take Mac Jones. I, I feel like that's, Kyle Shanahan and the rest of the and the rest of the NFC West is hoping he takes Mac Jones too. So why has why has not one person brought up? Could you make an argument that Garoppolo is better than Mac Jones coming out? Without a question, without I a agree. Doubt. Without a what's doubt, the, what's the difference between those two? I mean, what's what 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 are we talking about? Jimmy G had a he's got a quicker release. He's got more yeah. body movement. He's got yeah. more body quickness and feet inside the pocket. He's a better <laughs> athlete. 
Besides that, nothing. <laughs> so are we thinking they want to get rid of Garoppolo for a lesser type physical specimen? Like, I don't know. Yeah, I'm with you. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't. It's bizarre. We'll see how it plays out in a few weeks. But there, I just can't see there absolutely any way that, that that happens. It would be an elaborate, like, Bruce. I mean, Schefter came out and, and said, like, they're taking Mac Jones pretty much. He's expected to be the pick, like, sh- shortly after the trade. And he wasn't alone. So, like you said, well, it's a silly season, though. Yeah. Those NFC West defensive coordinators are saying, yes, please. You know, you, you talk about headaches and guys that are hard to prepare for and – you know, Donovan was hard to prepare for, but at the time and afterwards, Michael Vick, and we had a legendary D coordinator at the Eagles, Jim Johnson. And this dude, you know, Jim remembers it well. I mean, he he was tough as it could be, not, yep. not phased by nothing. You know who phased him? Michael Vick. I told because, that story on here before. Jim Johnson. Really? Said it. I remember he told me right in the kitchen, right in the Novacare, that one, when we were getting ready to play them in the playoffs. Said he yeah. couldn't, said, Jimmy. Doesn't matter what we do. <laughs> Vic could do something better. I, I can call the perfect defense. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And those are the kind of guys that you take at number three. Certainly guys you take when you trade at three, four picks to get to number three. You know, people forget that. It's not just at number three. You He traded all it to get to that spot. So, And you just, you know, th- think about what they're seeing this past season. Josh Allen with that right arm. I mean, he has that special quality. I mean, they just blew him out. Russell Wilson, he's seen that magic twice a year. Kyler, Mur- I mean, he he has seen his own team lose yeah. to a quarterback that has something unique, no special. So if they take Mac Jones, I mean, that's the ultimate ego move you know, out of a, a decision-maker. Not to – because this thing could go – like we said, we could probably talk all night. But yeah. this kind of leads me, Mark, I'd like to get into the Eli Manning kind of um, mm-hmm. history because I think we're talking about a guy that had limitations – he wasn't a physical, you know, freak or anything at the position. Obviously he did some really good things and right. had some, incredible. he got hot in the playoffs and obviously you, you know, all the stories, but talk about what happens to guys like that, that, that can't create on their own and doesn't limit you on offense. And then, and then you have to talk about this because we talk about this on our pod, but Doug Wynn and I talked about what it's like to get fired. Mm-hmm. And I want I want to talk about Eli and with the limitations he had, but then I, I want you to talk about how you, Jerry Reese, made the decisions. You guys w- at least thought it was time. It was time yeah. to move on. And right. then we'll talk about that a little. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first talking about Eli, I mean, it was Eli's greatest strength, and I tell people is that the they the team believed in him. That was his greatest strength that they, the team believed (laughs) even when he was bad and struggling and even on his back end of his career. And even now people will be like, let's put Eli out there and let him play. There's still people that (laughs) believe in him that much. That being said, you know, we were average team for most of the part during the regular seasons. And we had some exceptional talent around him, especially the receiver position was Plaxico Burris, Amani Toomer. Mm. Keem Nix, Victor Cruz, mm. <clears throat> Odell Beckham. You know, we where he he just bailed him out a lot. Um, he turned the ball over a lot, as we know, as we know. In our two playoff runs, he did not turn the ball over, and our defense played at historic at a historic rate. And the, the team believed in him and he made some key plays. But 
to sustain that. You know, he was just never in that upper echelon of guys where you just go in the game and say, all right, Eli's going to throw for 300, we're going to win this game and just, you know, Jim played with Bree- had Breeze there. It was that's what they thought with the Saints? Like, all right, Breeze gonna go win for us. You know, we just it just was a different sort of deal that you have when you have those kind of guys. So it was always a struggle throughout those years, even in his prime, where it was like, is this guy really that great? And it was throughout the league. More the New York fans is probably ninety to ten or eighty to whatever it was around the league. It's probably the, the exact opposite, where you know the guy teams we play like Eli's back. You know, it was just kind of flip. But in in where we were, this is why you kind of you can't have emotions get involved with personnel decisions because there's no there's I'd be hard pressed to find a player that means more to an organization than Eli does with the Giants as far as just the city, the town, what he did, the way he carried himself, but also the how he in the building, how they loved him so much. And to kind of speak out against like this guy's not that good. It was like blasphemy. You're like, what? How could you say it was it was so for me, I never had a problem saying like, yo, this guy is struggling. This guy ain't that good now. And I, and I, because you just have to watch the film. I mean, we would have people mad and just forget like each game, like we just saw what just happened. Right. And then the next week it was that like, Eli I can do it. And then the next week he played bad and it was just rinse and repeat where people just kind of just didn't keep believing what they saw on film each week and, and see the struggles and the struggles where it was kind of, if you were going against that, you had to go. So when he got benched, when and it was a it was a decision that everyone was involved with the head coach owner Ben McAdoo was our head coach at the time. Um, he didn't hire himself, by the way. So you know that that's another <laughs> thing. Like these guys don't hire themselves. Ben McAdoo was as much as he gets vilified. He's the nicest guy in the world. He didn't hire himself, and he was in our building for two years. So, but the decision was made for him. Like, all right, well, let's let's. Give him a chance to start, keep a streak going, but then bench him if he struggles again. But he didn't want to do that. So we played Geno Smith, which was a whole other thing where that was the wrong person, wrong time. So he ends up, we lose the game, and then all hell goes. The players, everyone's going against get rid of everybody, fire everybody, and and that's what happened. Where Ben McAdoo got fired that day and Jerry got fired on Monday for, for benching, making the decision to bench Eli Manning. But it was really, it really was the right thing to do. The Giants tried to run that back two more years with Eli, three, two or three more years, and they, they, he couldn't do it. You know, when, when player, but because of the emotional investment in him, you keep wanting, you keep wanting, you keep wanting. Whereas if you just take that away, you strip it away, you just watch what you see and grade off of what you see. I learned that very first time I watched film. You know, when I interviewed for my my uh, internship, just tell me what you see. Tell me what you see. You saw a guy that couldn't do it anymore, but because of the emotional investment and the people who said kind of voiced that they had to go. But so Jerry got fired. Ben got fired. I hung on till after the season, but I was so tied in with Jerry. Like we were the only two people at fault, (laughs) but I interviewed for the the GM job. I knew I wasn't going to get it, but the owner had respect for me and I respect the owner. And he's like, Hey Mark, you know, I love to hear what you got to say. And I said, Hey, it's time to go. It's, 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 it's time. You know, that was the year Dar- uh, Baker, Darnold, that whole Jack Lamar that year. It's like, let's reset it. Let's move forward and go. But um, they had other plans, but uh, 
yeah, there's a whole lot of people there that were there before me and that are still there. And I, I got, you know, you get that shrapnel, you get that, uh, as Jim knows that, uh, that's just kind of what happens in the league where you've got a protected group of people in an organization. Those are the people that kind of can just run everything and are always going to be there. And then you got the other people that, you know, going to take the fall, but, uh, you know, great years there. I had nothing, nothing bad to say about my years there, but it's, no. it's if you if you just really break it down and say, all right, let's reset, let's move forward. And you see great organizations do that kind of reset time to go with, especially with an aging quarterback, but emotions do get involved. Mark, how difficult is it like to your own sanity, your own mental health when day to day, I mean, you you see the, the, the quarterback, the face of the franchise. I mean, so many jobs are dependent on this player in this sport more than anything else. And you, you know, he doesn't have it. Like you're seeing it erode and, and you probably felt that like you just said, like Years. long, long, long before <laughs> yeah. he even made that decision yeah. to, to, to bench him. Um, But like, how difficult is that to just know, like the, the ownership wants him to be the quarterback. The fans want him to be the quarterback. I don't know even I, to get up in the morning and, and know what you have at quarterback. No, you have to move on, but no, you can't do it. I'd, I'd go insane. And Tyler, it's, you're right. It is. You're like, what is wrong with me? You know, am I crazy? It, and you're really, but you just see it and you know, you know what you see and you know, others know what they're looking at too, but they just can't bring themselves to admit it almost where again, it, it, you, I don't know if you have family, but like if your, if your brother, your family member does something, you'll give them a little, a pass more so than someone you don't know, do the same thing. Your, your brother gets drunk and passes out and and does something like, oh, man, I'm going to put him in bed and take care of him and all that kind of stuff. Uh, that reminded me of a story, but we won't bring that up now, Jim. But, you know, it's um, whereas if some stranger, you see him drunk pass out on the street, you're going to kick him and tell him, you know, move on. So that happens with football players, too, where the more emotionally invested you are in them, the harder it is to make the decision with what you're seeing on the field each and every week. And I've seen it over and over and over again, where, you know, that's just, it's hard for people to, to come to that. Jim. No, I, it just goes to show you like these decisions and we're seeing teams going through it right now in Pittsburgh, they're holding on yeah. for dear life in Pittsburgh. You know, the Colts gave it a shot with Phillip. Hey, yeah. good. Shot. And it was a good shot. They have a good football team. Phillip could do some things, but at the end of the day, he wasn't good enough to beat a good, you know, the, he wasn't good enough to beat a good team. Yeah. Uh, Breeze wasn't, isn't good enough anymore to beat the good teams like he used to be. And it, it, it is hard and it is emotional. Drew Breeze changed the city of New Orleans. He did. Yeah. And, 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 and he, yeah. he would be the quarterback right now if, if he wanted to come back again. If he wanted if he, to. If he wanted he to. Wanted and to. despite everything we've, we've seen from Drew Breeze, <clears throat> despite that playoff game, despite <clears throat> all that, if he said, I want to play again, he would be the starting quarterback of the New Orleans Saints once again because he means that much to an organization. And you just, you, if the powers that be absolutely just cannot bring themselves to make that decision. You know, you know, you're looking at it, you're seeing it, but you just can't bring yourself to do it. Atlanta, Matt Ryan, right there at number four. Matt Ryan's not good enough anymore. They they have to take a quarterback and move on. But but he means so much to Atlanta. He means so much. We've got tons. Of, I've got tons of Atlanta fans. People living in Atlanta, friends with Atlanta, and it's every game. It's the same thing. Like this guy is, you know, he's just, he's, he's like three and a half quarters. Matt Ryan, 
that half last half of the fourth quarter, like, oh boy, here we go again. With but the emotional investment, Matt Ryan will start and do it. But but Breeze is a perfect example where despite all all that, if he said two weeks before the season, I want to start, he'll be he'll be the starting quarterback. Oh, I mean, trust me, if Jameis, Jameis, or if they're really going to throw out Jameis or uh, the, the tight end guy Taysom <laughs> Hill, Taysom, Taysom Hill. That that might be one week, and and there might be a chance. Whatever NBC right. or same breeze to announce games, they right. the same day, hey, walk down right from the booth as he's walking down, do Superman in the elevator, throw the throw, have his pads ready in the <laughs> elevator, just go right, go right on the field. What's <laughs> the feeling then, Mark? Is it is it vindication or is it are you pissed off and? Tyler, you're out of a job. I'm sitting at home looking, you know, sending on indeed all day, you know, look at cause now nah, there's no, it, <clears> but <throat> you, 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 in this business, you never, it's hard to be like, I told you so, or this and that you're just kind of, but it was just, it definitely was one of those things like, all right, here we go again. Like, <laughs> you just kind of, I've all, again, like I told you to start, I always had conviction in what I see on the film and like I've, I've can stick with that and to my detriment i guess sometimes but that's just the only way i know how to do it man it's and it is i wonder how much of a factor just um like ownership is because you look at green bay and and they draft jordan love you know when aaron Rodgers is playing pretty good football and everybody's going nuts in wisconsin and beyond right now that the fans are you know, they, 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 they can't believe that the Packers aren't just making Aaron Rodgers. They don't Packers don't have to do anything. Like he's got three years yeah. left on his contract. You yeah. can develop Jordan love, you know, you, you still want Aaron Rodgers to be your quarterback. He's the MVP. You're a game from the Super Bowl. They don't have to do a damn thing right now, but the fact that they don't have an owner, I don't know if that factors into yeah. them being able to draft a Jordan love and, and, you know, kind of balance this all. Well, it depends on the, the type of owner that you have, where you look at down at, with Baltimore, their perfect example, where they had Flacco. Flacco's been was struggling, but they said, "All right, we're going to take Lamar Jackson because the owner was on board with trusting Ozzie Newsome and uh, <clears throat> what his vision and what he wanted to do with the team." So that's what you need. Where, hey, Joe Flacco, you won a Super Bowl with us, one of the greatest runs by a quarterback in in the playoffs, but you you can't play anymore. And to be able to recognize that realize that and take action to get better as a team in that position. That's what you want as an owner, as a head coach, as a GM and, and everyone to kind of share that vision. Do, do you want back into this crazy world or do, do, you, do you like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, you got a pretty good job right now. You know, oh Network. man, I, I, I'm loving this right now, man. This yeah. is, this is fun. This is fun. No, it's, 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 you know what the best part is, it's, it's just a new skill to learn. And um, it's just been invigorating. You know, I'd, I'd been in the business since I was 23 years old, you know, and I know I only look 23 now, Tyler, but I'm actually <laughs> 47, about to be 48 on May 2nd. Get, but, get, so, the hell, get the hell out of here. Are you serious? Yeah, man. Yeah, man. I was doing the math on your resume. and I, Yeah, it, it doesn't make sense when you look at it like, wait a minute now. Yeah, well, I, no, gosh, I started. Man, you're putting us to shame here. The yeah, crazy a, thing is, his barber, has, his barber uses some good coloring. That zing, he got that zing. Nice and dark, <laughs> nice and dark up there. Yeah. They, Tyler, this is how crazy, well, how long I've been in it. That <laughs> kid, the guys that I scouted, their kids, Ashante Samuel, Patrick Sertain, 
yeah. uh, horn, you know, these guys scouted these guys back in the day, you know, and it's, it's, uh, that's how, that's how young I started where I was the same age as some of the, the seniors, um, in, in the, you know, coming out in that same kind of age group. But I slowly, as I kept going and going like, man, I could be these guys dad, which is weird. <laughs> I did a I did a I did a radio show in Seattle the other day, um, and Cam Cleland was one of the hosts. He was he was in New Orleans. He was a mm-hmm. tight end at, tight at Washington. End, yeah. But so the producer was on me before things like, yeah, we're going with this guy, and our regular host is out, but Cam Cleland is one of the hosts. I was like, Cam Cleland that played for UW. My very first scouting trip, um, Cam Cleland. I went to. I'm Northeast guy from Philly, went to Princeton, UMass, Northeast my whole life. My very first scouting trip, I had to go to University of Montana, University of Idaho. And that weekend I went to UW and they played Nebraska that weekend. So Cam Cleveland was in that game. So that's how far. And he was like, man, this is really come, came full circle where my very first scouting trip and I'm on the radio with the guy 20 plus years later, um, you know, reminiscing about old times. Love it. Love it, man. Well, before we lose you, Mark, I know we touched on the draft. Is, is there a player? Is there a prospect that uh, you just want to hit on before we, we, we lose you? I mean, who, who's a guy that we should all be talking about a hell of a lot more who's than we are guy? right now? Jeez. Um, Maybe somebody like um, somebody outside of the quarterbacks. Anybody oh, yeah, outside? No. Yeah. We're, we're quarterbacked out, right? Quarterbacked we're out. Quarterbacked out. out. I was. I thought you'd say Mac Jones myself. Well, but. this is what I used to do, Tyler. So we would do the. We would have. <laughs> yeah. We would. This is what I would do with my scouts. So we had meetings all week, weeks and weeks and weeks. But then, like the day before, I would just go through the board. All right, each scout area guy. I don't know, Jim. You guys are like, who's your mm-hmm. favorite guy? Not who's the best. Who's just your favorite player in the draft? And I would do that with all, all our scouts. So my favorite guy in the draft this year is Elijah Moore. The receiver from Ole Miss. Ole Miss. He just um, you, you look at his production with Devonte Smith before Devonte got into playoff games and stuff. I mean, it's almost the same. And this guy is just like electric and just you know productive as hell. They played him in running back sometimes in games. He looks like a damn first, second down running back. Some of the stuff he does. So watch Elijah Moore a few years from wherever he goes. He'll, he's going to be a playmaker. And is there anybody that um, for our Bills fans at, at 30 that might be there that could help them? Maybe, you know, a lot of people in Buffalo want tight end, pass rusher, yeah. corner. You know, is there anybody that might be there at 30? Yeah, man. I, you know, I, I think pa- pass rush is probably their biggest need. They got you know, okay. Jerry's been Jerry's on his, on his yeah, last leg a little bit, leg. but like down there, I think they're going to get some call, like a Ronnie Perkins from o- OU. Like, I love that guy. When I when I first started hey. watching him, and he missed a bunch of games on the start, and then he started playing, I'm like, whoa, who was who this guy? You know, he kind of just jumps. There's those guys, Tyler, you know, when you watch tape, you're not – if you have to keep looking for the guy you're looking for, you got the wrong guy. You want those guys that are just jumping off the screen at you, and he's one of those guys where, I mean, he is just explosive as they come coming off the edge. So if a guy like Ronnie Perkins is down there or – even a Joe Tryon from from uh, UW, you know, we were talking about UW, but uh, he he didn't play this year. Yeah, but a guy that it, another just kind of physical pass rusher. I think Tryon's got a little bit more in his pass rush bag than Perkins. Perkins is just like I'm gonna run you over. I'm gonna run by you. You know, right now he can develop, but Tryon's got a little bit more 
uh, versatility to his game right now. But I, but either one of those guys, if they're at 30, Bills fans should be happy. Just for all the good vibes right now, I mean, you still got to get past Patrick Mahomes. You still got to put pressure on him. He didn't break a sweat in that game. I mean, they that's got to be Tyler. You got to have you got to have the guy, or you got to go get that guy. And when I look at defensive players, that's what it's all about. You are you getting to the quarterback? Are you affecting him at all? If you're a linebacker running around making tackles ten yards down the field, great. If you're a safety that's hanging back there and the guy makes a catch, a dig route, 15 yards, and you make great. That that's not a lot of value in my view. It's who is going to affect the quarterback. And that's guys that are coming off the edge, getting after them. And you saw that in the Super Bowl. The great, the greatest quarterback of all time, Patrick Mahomes. I know you guys talk about him a lot, but he was <laughs> loyal listener. He was reduced to I mean, he might even look better than he's ever looked by doing the, some of the stuff he did in that in the Super Bowl and some of those throws that he made getting out of all that stuff. I mean, that was incredible. Um, but even he's reduced to that. And then, all right, now who are the guys to cover? Because Tampa had those young guys, those young cover guys too that did it, that did a hell of a job too that, oh, that yeah. got after it too. But they benefit from the pressure. Did you know that Jim passed on Patrick Mahomes? What? No, no, that hasn't come up yet. No, podcast. that was Whaley did. Whaley 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 point. Hey, that's point. Son of a... That's another thing, Tyler. You, good pick. Everybody's like, hey, hey, I, I picked him. You take you make a bad pick. Hey, no, wait, no, that was him. That was everybody's everybody's pointing the finger. Uh, I will say, I mean, not yeah, he's he's my friend here, but uh I've never met somebody more honest with the decisions he's made in that draft room no than Jim Onis. I mean, he, you go the other direction, Jim, like he is more apt hey. to talk about players and pro- like that he missed than yeah. what he did well. And that was a whole other story in itself that we've he didn't talked about. Money, though. He, he I, I knew right from the start, Tyler, that when he was a yeah. young intern, man, he, he got after Cor- it. He, he, Corey, Corey McIntyre fullback. Oh, he, he, he Tyler, did, Tyler, Ty- Tyler did it. Tyler knew about Corey. Really? Jim, he, oh, would, he had all. We had a whole squad full of guys from the Northeast that Jim would, Sean Smith and yeah, and uh, the center from Dell State. I mean, we yeah. had, he he had, every year he had a guy or two from the nor- Northeast that would make the team. Man, he he had the eye. You know, it's funny when I think about man. as a scout though. That to me was more fun as a scout. You know, I, hey, as an area scout, you're not making the picks. You're not your information. You're letting the, you know you guys make the picks. I want to find, let's help out where you need it. That's is where you need the area scout. To yeah. Well, and that was the best time of my career was when I was just first starting out, when I was an area scout, I just mentioned <laughs> going to UW. That that was the best time because you really, and I was young, I was hanging with that. You really got to know the players almost too much. That's why I know you got to separate emotion because <laughs> I, I scouted a bunch of guys back when I was young. Like this guy's a great, you know, I got to know the, I know the players really well. And like Azakine, remember Azakine was on the greatest show on turf. Like he was my a guy named Deshaun Miles. He was a Nevada Reno linebacker. Um, Tawambi Settles. He was a safety at Duke. I'm walking on campus, hanging out. I mean, I used to just hang out with these guys. Um, Tawambi Settles. He was safety. Good story. Where we're walking, and one guy comes up. He goes, "Hey, Tawambi, man, you gonna remember me when you make it to the NFL?" And he said, "Are you gonna remember me if I don't make it?" <laughs> That's I was like, great. That's great. I like that, man. I like that. So uh, you always take those little nuggets, but th- those are the best times when I was just a young scout, just getting to know the players. You, yeah. you, like you don't know the pressure that's there. Once you get into an executive role, you don't know 
how much things get magnified. You don't know how you're going to get, you know, the all that kind of stuff. You're just trying to make it grow in the business. Your eyes are wide open. And those are really the, the fun, exciting times about being a, uh, in this business. Mark, have you, have you grown any love for the greatest linebacker in the draft from Harrisburg, PA? Is there any? <laughs> put him on his path and let him run. He'll be just fine. Put him, put him, let him run. Just like all the other, you know, straight line guys from, from Harrisburg. That's all y'all do. Y'all, <laughs> they only know one way, Tyler. They can't, they can't think out. They can't move, function. They just, no. just go. No typical Monus. Typical Monus. <laughs> I had to hear about Noah Spence. I had to hear his Shady's the only one he got right. That's that's about the only one. <laughs> I, thought, I said every Harrisburg guy comes out, I'm always gonna pump him. So as long as I'm gonna miss some, but man, the ones I hit on <laughs> you got to, baby. Got to. Bishop McDevitt, baby. You, you got it. No Ma- doubt. That was amazing, Mark. I feel like we could talk for hours. I know, hours, man. I went so... fast. Damn, that went real fast. Well, we got to yeah. have you back. I mean, you have a, an open invite to uh, to come back on the pod. So you just tell us when you want to come. Sure on. thing, man. Next time it'll be in person. We will get this COVID stuff done and oh, Hamburg Brewery, Hamburg Brewery. Get vaccinated. Let's get let's get it done. Absolutely, man. We'll, we'll make it happen right there in Hamburg. So you you just tell us when you want to make the haul. And hey, maybe we, Jim, maybe we head out to, to New York. What do you say? Why not? Go long. We can go long. Hey, he's, he's, Tyler, he's not welcome in this city anymore. He's, <laughs> he's, uh, he's, <laughs> he got banned for, he got, nah, he's good. He's good. They, I'm, they good. Love him <laughs> I'm a southerner. I'm a southerner. I'm, I'm, I know. They calmed him out. <laughs> hey, Mark, before, where can people find you? watch you read Man, your tweet. I'm, just, I'm just hit at, us at mark ross on twitter you know just turn draft on during the week just just i'll be on all week leading up to the draft that'll be fun but uh yeah i'm not big on the social media stuff Tal. i gotta start expanding man maybe you can be my pr guy it's a bunch of bullshit social media. So th- this is this is where the real conversations are had. Not not 140 characters at a time. So it's a it's an awful awful place. So thanks for spending an hour with us. It beats a tweet. So yeah, exactly. I hope people enjoyed it. <laughs> Appreciate having me, man. Hey, thanks so much, man. We'll, we'll do it again soon. Sure.